1: You're really going to enjoy our topic for the day. We're going to talk about recognizing grief. We have a really interesting guest, so please help me welcome Julie. And Julie, before we get going too quickly, would you just give our listeners a bit of your background, please?
2: Sure. Hi. Um, It's so great to be with all of you and and your listeners. Um, So my name is Julie Hall. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist in the state of Connecticut. And um, my work is focused on helping individuals, couples, and families navigate issues, things like trauma, anxiety, depression, and life transitions. And so, you know, I guess, among other things, some of my primary intentions are to help clients develop a more compassionate understanding of their lived experience. And sort of from that lens, build up a sense of empowerment in the midst of their challenges. And, and so that's a little bit about my work. And I'm also um, married. I've been married for 15 years and um, we have an almost nine year old daughter and two rescue pups. So, Ooh. yes.
1: rescues another, another one of my soapbox topics. I can mm-hmm. talk mm-hmm. about that or what I won't do. Thanks again for joining us today. Sure. Your name came to my attention while I was browsing Amazon, which Mm -hmm. I do a lot actually. (laughs) I noticed your book, Recognizing Grief, Support Mm -hmm. Around the Holidays for You and Your Loved Ones. Mm -hmm. And I thought instantly about the holidays coming up oh so quickly and how this topic is really important, well, important any day of the year. Mm -hmm. But for the holidays, it sometimes adds a complex layer To things like holiday events and Christmas morning and Christmas dinner and celebrations in general. Mm -hmm. What prompted you to write this book, Julie?
2: Sure. I'll have to kind of backtrack a little bit just to give you some context. So, um, yeah, so my husband and I, we struggled with um, infertility for Mm -hmm. several years before we had, you know, what I call our miracle daughter. And, um, you know, at the time, I didn't feel like there were resources out there for emotional and mental health support in this area. And it just sort of honestly exacerbated for me, the loneliness I felt at the time. Right. Sure. And, you know, I remember we had had a miscarriage right around the holidays mm-hmm. and it was just the most surreal time because, you know, everywhere I turned, there were festivities and celebrations, but I remember feeling like I, I couldn't I couldn't even get out of bed, right? And so, you know, I think the loss within the context of infertility um can be particularly difficult because that loss can't be seen by the people around us. You know, it's the baby we hoped for in our minds eye or um the dreams of what it would have been like to hold them and nurture them and these dreams are not visible to others, right? We may not have even shared them, but they're the scars we wear in our hearts, right? And in our minds. And so yep. to your point, Kathy and Stephanie, the, the holidays in particular can feel really weighty, right? Family and friend gatherings that often require um, us to, enter, you know, to access a kind of energy within us that we don't really have or questions and comments that can trigger our pain or festivities that remind us of what we had and lost. So I think back to your question, I was prompted to write this little booklet that you're referring to, um, to really honor people who feel often unseen and maybe even invalidated at this particular time during the holidays Mm -hmm. and that what they're holding and navigating matters. Right. And it's worthy of being recognized and tended to.
1: Exactly. Um, uh, it was incredible motivation for the book. You're absolutely right, though, Julie. Yeah. There weren't resources. Mm-hmm. I lost an infant in the early 70s before yeah. Stephanie was born. Wow. Um, he was full term. Wow. And I was in labor, no problem at all. And within 20 minutes, I spiked a very high fever, had a severe infection. Um, they did a forceps delivery. The baby lived 24 hours and then died. My goodness. No reason, really. Even Mm -hmm. though we did a post-mortem and everything, there were really no reasons. So Mm -hmm. I was fortunate, though, conceived rather quickly again. And, you know, as I said, Stephanie is one of my greatest blessings. I have two daughters, and they are both so, so close to me. We have an incredible bond. Mm -hmm. But as far as grief, at that time in the 70s, there was absolutely nothing. Nothing. No one to help me, Mm
2: -hmm. and I
1: didn't even know what grief was. That Mm -hmm. was really the first major loss in my life, Mm -hmm. and it was really, really hard. We sometimes joke, Stephanie and I, that we should all have t-shirts that say something like, I'm grieving, be kind. And so that if you went in Walmart, you'd know who's grieving and who's not, and could be a little kinder and reach out, Mm -hmm. but unfortunately, haven't quite achieved that level of comfort yet
2: Mm -hmm. yes
1: yeah in my browsing i also noted you have another book or booklet as you call them Mm -hmm. recognizing depression how Mm -hmm. to support people struggling with depression is there a connection between these two books
2: yeah that's a a great question and you know i appreciate you sharing um that that that's Um, lived experience of yours, Kathy. And yes, you know, there is a connection between those two books. They're very much connected. And, um, you know, when we think about grief, it's generally a natural response to some kind of loss, right? Whether it be a loved one, a pet, something that mattered to us that is no longer, you know, in our lives the same way or, Mm something we had hoped for, but didn't come to fruition as we had hoped. And, um, you know, depression does not necessarily have to be linked to a particular circumstance or event. Right. But generally, if we're experiencing grief, um, we're experiencing one or more depressive symptoms, right, Right. over a period of time. And so that can look like isolating, withdrawing, um, you know, some kind of change in appetite or sleep patterns, right? And so so there is definitely a connection there. You know, one of the distinctions between grief and depression is that the acute experience of grief generally, you know, it dissipates over time, right? And and sometimes can be lessened in situations where we're around our friends or, mm-hmm. you know, in certain situations we can, you know, experience some solace. But depression is generally more pervasive and right. persistent. Yeah. So that's a little bit of the distinction, but certainly a connection.
0: Right. Yeah. So, how do you recognize someone is grieving then? And is there a way to politely ask about it?
2: Sure. Yeah. No, that's a great question too, Stephanie. Um, you know, I think for all of our good reasons, we can tend to shy away from asking people about their pain or struggles, right? Because we do, we you know, we don't want to make anyone uncomfortable, right? Or because we don't want to bring anyone down or the environment down, right? But The reality is that often, you know, in my experience, right, personal, personally, professionally, is that often people who are grieving, they long to be seen in their place of pain, right? Right. And, you know, if we already know that a person has gone through some kind of loss, we might want to, you know, maybe during a one-on-one moment, just ask the person, right, how they're doing or that we've been thinking of them and that we're here to talk if they would like that you know, at some time or in some point, right? And I just think a simple gesture like that, right, in that kind of simple gesture that the person who's navigating grief can receive the message, right, that their grief is important, it matters, and it doesn't have to be processed alone. And I think that's a really incredibly powerful message. And I, Mm -hmm. you know, I think, if we don't know that a person has gone through some kind of loss, but we notice that they're acting differently or they're seemingly more quiet or sullen or withdrawn you know i think we can just very simply and gently ask again in likely maybe a one-on-one setting right whether everything is okay and and would they like to talk about anything right and so i just think we really want to use simple gentle prompts that then open up space for the person who's navigating grief to take up as much space as they feel right to be appropriate and we might find that they don't Necessarily want to continue the conversation right. much further, right. but again, just to be seen in that place, in and of itself, I think is such a powerful message. I agree. Yeah, yeah.
0: we've talked a lot about um, holding space for someone, just yeah. being where they're at, and I think that goes right along with it. So just, just so they know that you're there, and just you know, even a simple, "Are you okay? How you doing?" Yes, mm-hmm. but yeah, just hold space for them for wherever they're at in their journey. Yes. Um, yes. Are there any tips you can offer our listeners, Julie, as how as to how they might identify that someone's grieving might need professional help uh, and maybe how they might help that person at that point on their grief journey?
2: Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, to be honest, I think anybody who's grieving a loss of any kind could benefit from professional help, right? And I just, I don't just say that as a therapist, right? But, <laughs> you know, but... Um, but, you know, we want to be, I think, particularly concerned when we notice any significant prolonged changes, right? Or if we notice that a person's isolating for a prolonged amount of time mm-hmm. or, or um, communicating any kind of hopelessness or prolonged despair. Um, but, you know, ultimately, I don't think we necessarily need to validate our worry with specific symptoms, meaning if we feel worried about someone in our life, there is likely a reason that that's coming up for us, right? Mm-hmm. And um, right. you know, and so all that said, I, I would say let's start with the highest level of severity, right? If we if we're concerned that someone's physical safety is in acute danger, we definitely want to contact emergency services, right, to just make mm-hmm. sure that person is safe. But if the concern, I think, is just more moderate. I would suggest that we can do our own research, right. As to what professional or peer services might be available in the area, like a grief support group or any kind of other community services, because oftentimes somebody who is navigating grief, they don't have that kind of energy or mental space to do that kind of research. Right. And, you know, and again, to that, to that, um, point, right? We can also look into therapists in the area who specialize in grief work. And that way, you know, we can be equipped with information to share in the event that that person that we care about, the griever, shows interest in receiving support, right? But definitely, you know, keep checking in, just being persistent and staying active and encouraging that person to come into community and just reminding them that we care, Maybe even setting up a support system of a few of that person's loved ones just to check in on a consistent basis to just, again, give that person the message that they are not alone in this, right? And then I think also, you know, something that we often miss for our good reasons are practicing our own self-care, right? So that we can continue to be a safe place for the Mm -hmm. person who's navigating loss. It can take its toll on us, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah,
1: good ideas. I noticed on Facebook a while ago, there was a quote, and I, I'm a quote collector. But Mm -hmm. at any rate, it just said that, if it's the holiday, and there's a special event, and you've invited someone to an event or a dinner, someone who is grieving, that you're also inviting their grief to come along Mm -hmm. with them. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was not only interesting, a powerful perspective. So it really struck a chord with me. What are some Mm -hmm. things that grievers deal with during the holidays?
2: Mm -hmm. And how can we
1: as friends or hosts prepare so we can invite their grief along and make them maybe just a little bit more comfortable? What can we do?
2: Yeah, yeah, I know I keep saying this, but you both really asked some really beautiful (laughs) (laughs) questions. Yeah. Yeah, because I think especially the role of a host or even a friend in festivities or gathering spaces, yeah. that role often goes unexamined, right, in this area, you know. But I think it is, to your point, such a great opportunity that we have to ease some of the burden and weight of a griever in those spaces, right. right? And so, you know, some of the ideas that come up for me are um, – Maybe as friends or hosts, we can actually ask the griever in advance how they might like to engage in the event, right? And so things like if there is anything that would just help them feel safer or more seen in that space, right? Right. And, you know, I think if there's been a particular loss of a loved one, would there be a way in which they would like to have that loved one be acknowledged? right? Or honor during the event, right? So something kind of more proactive in that way. Um, Mm -hmm. I think another loving move might be in giving, maybe, maybe um, giving the griever a card or a note as they arrive, maybe discreetly, if we feel that that's appropriate, just letting them know that they, and again, that they don't necessarily have to open it until later. But again, what Mm -hmm. this communicates is that in that festive environment, that that person's grief doesn't go unnoticed or ignored. Mm Yeah, I think also we can just sort of check in with them periodically during the events. Again, just being attuned to how often that feels appropriate, right? But But those are just kind of some simple gestures, I think, that communicate love and care. Yeah, I
1: I like those. And for someone who is comfortable, I know um, my husband was very involved with the local chapter of Vietnam veterans. Mm -hmm. And every time this group had an event, there was always a table with a single chair, mm. place setting, and a few symbolic items on the table. And that was for the POW MIAs and those who never returned from the service. Hello. And there was actually, it uh, wasn't a poem, but it was a statement that was read to explain the symbolic items at the table. Uh There was salt for the tears and a wow. single flower. And then usually there was a brief ceremony where someone, a veteran from each branch of the service would come in and place a hat, a uniform hat from that military branch on the table or around the place setting and everything. And it was a very powerful thing, but it made me think if someone who's grieving is comfortable enough, a nice suggestion might be would you like to have an empty chair or empty place setting at our table to honor your lost loved one? Um, You know, with a level of comfort, but many ways that is a way that you can let all who are attending the event recognize that one person is grieving. Mm -hmm. So that's just one thing that I know from my experience can be very powerful and a way to recognize
2: yeah, and what I love about that, Kathy, I think is that again, how how honoring, right? How beautiful, exactly. And, exactly. Um, and it's not communicated necessarily in words, right? Because sometimes yeah. we don't have the words, and it's just right. a nonverbal honoring right. of yeah. loss that can be so powerful. Yeah, right.
1: right. And it becomes a lesson too, you know. Depending on who's at the event, if if they're a newcomer, they may not know the significance, so they learn themselves. Mm-hmm. that this is a way that you can recognize that someone important or someone's important are missing mm-hmm. from the celebration. So mm-hmm.
0: Julie, what might someone do to prepare themselves for the holiday if they themselves are grieving?
2: Right. Yes. Um, you know, I think if we ourselves are grieving, um it's important for us to acknowledge it from a lens of self-compassion and Anybody who has worked with me or knows me knows that self-compassion is something I talk about a lot and encourage the practice of, certainly in my work with clients, right? And so if we're navigating loss, again, you know, that loss matters and shouldn't be dismissed or ignored. And so a couple of things come up for me with regard to kind of practicing self-compassion in that place of grief, um, if I can share. And so- One of those um, is saying no, right? Actually saying no, which means we can actually give ourselves permission to say no to a particular gathering or event or time commitment in sort of that holiday space that just won't be restorative for us, right? Giving ourselves that permission to say no. The second thing is asking for help. Right. And uh, this isn't always easy, right? And again, mm-hmm. this is a practice. I call self-compassion a practice because it isn't always our natural lean. right? And so it can be messy and clumsy and we kind of fumble through it. And yet it is a practice that we want to develop. And so by asking for help, I just mean um, encouraging that we reach for our safe people, right? Reaching for our safe people when we feel particularly down or triggered, right? Reaching you know, for that safe person, for that listening ear or some companionship. Will you go on a walk with me or grab a coffee with me or reaching for the kind word, right? Um, the third is accessing warmth, accessing warmth. And what I mean by accessing warmth is that I think in the midst of our grief, we, we can, and it could be helpful for us to lean into the warmth in our life receiving the words of love and kindness that come from our support system, allowing our bodies to receive that warmth, Um, practicing expressing gratitude when it feels warranted or when it's coming up within us, right? And then also just reaching for physical touch, like a warm embrace, right? Mm -hmm. The fourth move that I would encourage for us, again, really from that spirit of self-compassion in that place of grief is to take some space, take some space, mm-hmm. and you know, it's very easy and sometimes a healthy distraction, right? To get caught up in the hustle and bustle of like the holiday to do's, right? But it can also really be, I think, a healthy practice for us to lean into the grief a bit, mm-hmm. even from what I call a time boxed place, right? Maybe we go. You know, on a 15 minute drive and we just listen to songs that allow us to emote and release the pain, right? Or maybe it's a walk in nature or some kind of movement of the body, you know? And then I think we also want to just stay attuned, right? To our own experience of grief, noticing when we can become triggered, noticing any kind of dysregulation in our bodies, like chest tightness or jaw tension or, oh, I haven't taken an active breath in some time. Right. <laughs> right. Noticing when that trigger occurs and just kind of giving ourselves that moment to yeah. honor it and then, and then breathe through it. So I, you know, I know that was a little bit long winded, but I am really protected of those griefers. Out yeah. When I, yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I think with Great the, thoughts. using the self-compassion and the like leaning into the warmth. I think that one in particular yeah. for myself, that would yeah. make me break down. Um yeah. but remembering that that's okay and you're going to need yeah. to do that. Just go ahead and let it let it release for a little bit. <laughs> oh, and then you oh, can yeah. get yourself uh busy in the festivities for a little bit, but yeah.
2: That's it. That's it. That makes so much sense.
0: So I I have assumed over the pandemic Julie that um these last few years, everything going on with the pandemic, the world, the way things are going, that pretty much everyone is grieving right now. So can you offer just one piece of advice for the upcoming holidays that everyone could do that would support other people in their lives?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, right. One piece of advice for... All of us, right, in the midst of kind of what we call the collective grief, right? The collective grief of the holidays. Yeah. And I know, I think it was you, Kathy, who mentioned your love of quotes and what comes up for me. Have you heard that quote by um, Parker Palmer? Not sure. Oh, yeah. Well, let me share it. Um, The quote says, The human soul does not want to be advised or fixed or saved, it simply wants to be witnessed, to be seen heard, and companioned exactly as it is. Wow. I know. I'll read
1: it again. I have not not heard that one, but it will be added to my collection. (laughs) Yes.
2: Yes. Let me read that again. So it says, the human soul does not want to be advised or fixed or saved. It simply wants to be witnessed, to be seen, heard, and companioned exactly as it is. Yeah. Mm. You know, i I love this quote because I think it just highlights the power and impact of yeah. letting the grieving people in our lives know that we see that see them, right? right and right. that their grief matters to us, and that right. even in our own experience of grief, right, that we actually have opportunity to be witnesses to our own grief, and that can be really difficult yeah. for us and then also to even hold the space for our loved ones because we so often want we want to exit our loved ones out of their pain as quickly as possible. And that's why we move to the fixing or to the advising, right? And yet that's I think where so often it can be counterproductive, right? Or we can miss the mark, where mm-hmm. in fact the human soul actually just wants to be witnessed. Exactly. It right? just wants to be witnessed. And so I think when it comes to advice, I think that's just really the simplest guide. Mm. Right there in that quote, right? That we can just allow. I like that. Yeah, I To the like breathing, right? And just resist those urges to fix or advise. Instead, just practice sitting with one another, right? Mm-hmm. From mm-hmm. that place of love and even in our own vulnerability, right? So Exactly. Yeah.
1: Julie, it appears our time is almost done for today.
2: Okay. Before
1: we start to wrap things up, though. We, Stephanie and I, want to offer you some time to make sure our listeners know how to contact you and what services you offer again. So this is your chance without us guiding you by questions to speak directly to our listeners and tell them a little bit more about what you and or other therapists might offer them.
2: Sure. Yeah, no, thank you for that opportunity. Um, so as I mentioned, I am a licensed marriage and family therapist in the state of Connecticut, and, um, you can find me, uh, through my website, which is just www.juliehalltherapy.com. And it has all the information and, you know, it has more information about me, my approach, my modality in therapy, um, and it has all the ways that you can contact me. I'm accessible, obviously, through that website and also on Instagram and Facebook. Um, but yeah, you know, I would say my real intention in those that I, I work with and have the privilege of working with is really to um, honor them in their journey and to help them build up a practice of self-compassion that then lends itself and leads to empowerment. Right. And, and so, yeah, you know, I think what I find is that there is right, this inverse kind of direct relationship between empowerment and anxiety. So the, the less empowered I feel, the more anxious I am, right? The more empowered I feel, the less anxious I am. And so that's what we really try to tap into with clients is that circumstances aside, how can I stay empowered? Yeah.
1: Wow. I've not heard that either. And it may not be a direct quote from someone, although it is now from you. (laughs) (laughs) My family in general seems to have diagnoses of anxiety. Mm. And when you just said that,
2: Mm.
1: that when you feel less empowered, that's right. You feel more anxious. That's right. And I've never made that connection before.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: but that that's critical. That's mm-hmm. critical. Mm-hmm. I just want to clarify, Julie, that even though today we talked about grief and we talked about holidays, you are, your practice is not limited to grief.
2: That's right. That's right. Okay. It's not, it's not, I, it's not. Yeah.
1: I just wanted people to understand that, that in general, um, if they need a therapist who is qualified to speak about family therapy, things like that, that, um, you might be the you might be the gal. <laughs> you
2: know, you, That's right. Just yeah.
1: me. And do you also um mm-hmm. treat people virtually or is is it for you just in Connecticut and just those that can come to your office?
2: Great question. Um I have a virtual practice now that has sustained and then I also am in the office a few days okay. a week. So it's a hybrid. Okay. Um and so right now I believe the HIPAA laws are such that um we can see clients outside of our state. I don't know when that might change, but, um, that mm-hmm. is something that is available to us at this point. Good. So I do see some clients outside of due to that. Um, but yeah, no, great question. Great question. Okay. And I see yeah. couples, uh huh, and families and individuals in all Good. kinds of capacities. Yeah.
1: Good. Good. Yeah. I just wanted people to understand that. I know in our community, um, we seem to have, Numerous therapists, probably enough per capita, but there's a real shortage of appointments mm-hmm. in our area. And I hear many people that are trying to get an appointment with a therapist and they're, you know, three, four months out yeah. and they're feeling so desperate right now. So the fact that there may be a resource that can be, um, you know, can be seen virtually might help some people. Right. Um, yeah. In a lot of instances I can think of. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, again, thank you so much, Julie. I've really enjoyed our discussion today. And to our listeners, Mm -hmm. as always, we're going to include Julie's contact info on our website and also in the episode notes on your favorite podcast apps. I can't tell you, Julie, how important I feel the grief journey is and learning to better understand it and be more Mm -hmm. aware so that we can reach out to others and be more helpful and more supportive. To our listeners, wherever in the world you may be, and I know last I checked, we are in over 50 countries, so, you know, way to go, guys. We appreciate it very much, please share. But know that we're with you, that we're thinking about you throughout our holidays of Christmas and New Year's. Many of you in different cultures are celebrating different holidays, And just know, regardless of that, you remain in our thoughts and prayers as we all continue to live in grief. See you next time.
0: Thank you so much for listening with us today. Do you have a topic that you'd like us to cover or do you have a question from one of our episodes? Please email us at info at com and let us know. We hope you will find a moment to leave a review, send an email, and share with others. Join us next time as we continue to live and grieve together.